Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Now, what if I told you the eighth catcher off the board in ADP led all catchers in max exit velocity and barrel rate in 2020, plus has two full seasons with an OPS over 840? Welcome to our 2021 position previews here on Fantasy Baseball Today, and we're starting with the best position. That's right, catchers. Frank Stanfield joined, as always, by Scott White and Chris Towers. We'll cover everything on catchers today. Uh, strategy, ADP, five big questions, and topics for the position. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, prospects, our favorite catcher to draft, and everything in between. If you're listening to the podcast, you're hearing this on Tuesday, February 9th, but we're actually live right now on YouTube and Twitch on Monday, February 8th, uh, and we're going to keep doing the pod live on video moving forward, so we're happy to have you here. What's going on, Scott? You excited about 38-year-old Yadier Molina returning to the St. Louis Cardinals? Oh, I am just overjoyed about Yadier Molina returning to the Cardinals. No, he's he's pretty he's pretty low relevance at this point. I mean, he matters in two catcher leagues. He um still good at making contact and and still tends to play a lot, though at some point you gotta figure that's going to his bats are going to be curtailed here at some point. Uh but you know, doesn't offer a lot of power anymore and just not much reason to make a big investment in him. I would guess, I, I would guess it's likely at some point, even in one catcher leagues, he becomes relevant just because others wash out and he just is steady Eddie back there. But yeah, he's not, he's certainly not somebody to really pay for in fantasy anymore. Volume is the name of the game for one Yachty or Molina. The ADP for Yachty is currently 282 as the 15th catcher off the board. He was a top three catcher in both head-to-head points and Roto back in 2018, but he's not getting any younger. Chris is here as well. What's going on, Chris? Any guesses as to which catcher I was referring to in the opening? Uh, Yeah, I would guess... Just off the top of my head, it's also probably the same catcher who led catchers in infield fly balls. And that's Gary Sanchez, Mm. uh, who is maybe the single most all or nothing hitter in baseball at this point. A lot more on Gary Sanchez coming a little bit later on in the podcast as well. Are people sleeping? On the Sanchez, we'll find out. Uh, But let's just start with a little catcher strategy in general. Uh, In two catcher leagues, Scott, the most, which is the most traditional uh, five by five roto, that's where most will most often use the the two catchers there. Um, What is your strategy for for that format usually? I mean, I don't have a go to strategy. I, I never invest in like two high end catchers. And I wouldn't even say that. There was a year where I did and it worked out okay. But generally speaking, that's not the way to go because you have to pay up so much for any one high-end catcher 
that uh, you're really sacrificing in other areas to do it twice. But I don't, I don't know that I f- can safely call anyone a high-end catcher in this year's player pool except for JT Real Muto. I feel like he might be the most significant advantage you can get at any position. Um, so this year, more than any other, I... I don't know that I would invest heavily in in any catcher, even in a two catcher league, and unless the value is just great. Like I've I've seen in a lot of our mocks, Salvador Perez, who I rank second at the position. You know, he's if he lasts to like round eleven or something like that, I'll, I'll go ahead and scoop him up. Wilson Contreras, same thing. But unless there's a clear discount of you know two or three rounds like that, uh, probably just going to keep passing him up until you get to the later stages and then maybe take, I don't know, a James McCann type, a Christian Vasquez type is my number one. Speaking of those uh, specific names, Scott, do you have any rules when it comes to specifically two catcher leagues? Like, do you tell yourself, I have to get one of my top blank catchers, right? Like I have to get one of my top 10 and then I'll target whatever, one of my top 20 or 25 later on as my second catcher. Do you have any rules like that when it comes to this format? Like I said, I have in the past. I, I don't think this is the year for it. Um, you know, if you're settling for like Max Stassi as your number one catcher, that's that's probably going a little, waiting a little longer than you should. So maybe like one of my top twelve or thirteen, and that that's including guys like Vasquez and McCann, who I mentioned, also like Mitch Garver, Sean Murphy. I might know. I, I would prefer not to have less than that as my number one, but you know if. If there's some sleeper pitcher I like at the same, and I'm making that call, you know, do I do I settle for a lower number, lower end number one catcher than I want, or take the pitcher who I really like? Then you know, forget the catcher. I just I, mean, I don't really care about the position much at all. Is what I'm trying to say. If it's a roto league, I'm okay probably with like any of my tie. I think it's like my top thirteen. Yeah, at catcher. Um, as my number one. And if I could get two of those guys, yeah, going down to Dalton Varsho, if I can get any of my top 13 um, as my number one, I'm okay with that. And ideally two of them, but for the most part, they've got to be real values. Yeah. I definitely want at least one of my top 11. That's the number that stood out to me. And and the cutoff was James McCann, Christian Vasquez. I have Sean Murphy up at number nine, Uh, but once you get past Vasquez for me, it's, Mitch Garver, Dalton Varsho, Jorge Alfaro, which some might consider okay options, but as we'll see in ADP as we go over it, there is just a huge drop-off um, in ADP after uh, names like Vasquez and James McCann. There's like a 30-40 pick drop, so we'll get into that a little bit later on. Uh, Chris, why do we play into catcher league still? <laughs> why don't we just make everything a one-catcher league? Because we, already, we know that catcher is already the worst position. This would be, in my mind, the same as playing fantasy football with two tight ends. Tight end is by far the worst position, and we, we play with one of them. Why, why do we play with two catchers in fantasy baseball? Uh, because the, the guys who were playing fantasy baseball at a, like, well, like a chicken place, isn't that the, the story? Back yeah. in like the late 70s, uh, because they decided that that's how they were going to play. And so we've stuck with that. It's tradition. Uh, it's- I, I, I think there's more to it than tradition, actually. If, if you play in a one-catcher league, because nobody plays a catcher-eligible player anywhere but catcher, 
if you're playing in a league where there's just 12 catchers rostered and there are, you know, you, there, there are 13 other hitter spots to fill, 12 other hitter spots to fill, you look at the waiver wire and it's all catchers at the top. Like, ideally, it would be something like one and a half catcher spots to be distributed evenly, uh, equitably. Uh, compared to other positions, but since you can't have half a catcher, obviously it it rounds up to two. So, and like I don't think anybody's disadvantaged by that. Everybody has a crappy second catcher, right? It, it just, I guess, part of the problem is if you just played fourteen hitters in a roto league, fourteen, thirteen, thirteen hitter spots. Let's just say you had to fill thirteen hitter spots. How many catchers would get drafted in a twelve team league as a starter? And if you just played, you know, the the best 156 hitters. Mm. For me, I think it's one. I think Ramut is the only one that I would definitely draft as a starter. Last year, there were four catchers in the top 100 in Roto scoring without any kind of positional adjustment. Uh, none were inside the top 40. And this was with... You know, I think we can all agree Salvador Perez playing over his head and, and you know, a couple other guys, you know, really having big years that we don't expect them to repeat. Uh, there were seven players inside the top 100 at second base. There were 13 at shortstop. And so the problem is you, you have to play players who wouldn't otherwise be fantasy relevant just yeah, because but- of the position. I guess it's a, it's a question of you whether you want the position overrepresented or underrepresented. Like, like yeah. I said, I think one and a half would perfectly represent the pitcher, the, the position compared to like shortstops, but that's not really an option. So, yeah. but it's look, it, everyone's playing this. It's all about strategy, and yeah. a lot of the times, getting a catcher who doesn't hurt you in a roto league is as good as anything you're going to get. Yeah, in one catcher league, specifically in head-to-head points, I mean, I think volume is obviously very important there, but you can say that about any position. I think it's even more uh, important in a uh, when it comes to the catcher position in particular yeah. for that format. Um, Scott, in daily leagues, I just wanted to bring this up. In a head-to-head categories league, which is, I think, the... More often than not, that's the the format that uses a, a daily lineup context. Uh, would you draft a catcher tandem? So... Whenever someone's sitting, you can plug in their backup. It takes up one of your bench spots, but you'll, theoretically, you will have a catcher playing every day, whereas if you have one, I mean, you know that they're probably going to sit out at least once or twice a week. So what, what do you think about that, using a catcher tandem in a, in a daily format? Well, you know, daily formats aren't my go-to anyway, but I have played in enough to have an opinion. And my opinion is, no, that's not the best use of a bench spot. Um, really... How many what? catcher tandems would you even want to use? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That's like I, I, the one that I always think back to, and I thought it was more recent than this, but it was the 2017 Braves when Kurt Suzuki and Tyler Flowers combined for 31 homers. Mm-hmm. Other than that, like the teams who have multiple good catchers right now are extremely. I mean, the teams that have one good catcher are pretty few and far between. So yeah. Uh, yeah. The teams maybe that stood out, Diamondbacks, uh, yeah. the Diamondbacks, yeah, they have Varsity. Even then, their best catcher for fantasy isn't actually part of their catcher rotation, most likely. 
Right. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about Varsho a little bit later on. But yeah, it would be some combination of him and, and Carson Kelly and, and Stephen Vogt is there. You definitely don't want to roster three catchers in a one catcher league. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, the Orioles came to mind. Pedro Severino and Chance Sisko. They're OK. The Angels with Stassi and Kurt Suzuki. I feel like they're probably going to split time. Uh, the Twins. What's going to happen with Mitch Garver? I mean, they have a prospect in Ryan Jeffers, which they seem pretty excited about. Are they going to split time there? I guess that's a possibility uh, as well. So we're going to get into some ADP and some players in particular. Just want to quickly promote a few things. We've reached that point of the year where there's a lot, a lot of sports going on at once. NBA, college hoops, hockey. Does anybody even watch hockey anymore? Uh, anyway, that's why we just wanted to tell you that uh, about the CBS Sports app and how it's not just the best scoring app for your phone, but it's also where you get breaking news alerts, stories by all of our CBS Sports writers, including all of us here on this podcast, uh, standing schedules, team pages, and all the sportsy digital stuff that you're used to. And of course, if a game is airing on CBS, that means it's streaming on the CBS Sports app. Easy, right? Download it, re-download it if it's got that little cloud logo next next to it on your phone. Uh, and you know we love those five-star ratings, so don't hesitate to drop one for the app. If you do, tweet us a screenshot along with a mailbag question for us to use on an upcoming episode. Thanks, as always, for your support. Uh, and speaking of support, we want to thank everyone who's here watching us live so far tonight on YouTube and on Twitch. Uh, we'll be here whenever we record a podcast. Typically, it's going to be around 10 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday, Monday, Wednesday and Thursday nights so mark that on your calendars uh, and since this is our first night streaming after we wrap up the catcher position preview podcast here uh, we'll take some of your questions so stick around there in the chat we'll, stick, we'll be around for like 10 15 20 minutes whatever it is uh, we'll take some of your questions towards the end all right so some ADP and the biggest questions and topics at the catcher position First and foremost, we know JT Real Muto. He stands at the top of the position. The ADP is 40. He's going in the fourth round, and he's slowly climbing up. I feel like last week I mentioned it. It was at 42. The other day it was at 41. Now we're up to 40. So slowly creeping up for JT Real Muto. I wanted to do the case for and the case against drafting him where you need to. So which I feel like Chris is probably more likely to draft Real Muto that just from what I've gained over the years. So I guess Chris will do you the, the, the case for, uh, and Scott will do the case against. So get us started. Although it's, it's not really hard to make the case for Chris. Uh, yeah. Like the, the case for is kind of what I said earlier. He's, he's the only, in my opinion, he's the only for sure starting caliber fantasy hitter who plays catcher. I think there are a few others who could get there, uh, but for the most part, the most likely outcome uh, for JT Real Muto and either head-to-head points or Roto uh, is that he's going to, you know, if not be the number one catcher, it's going to take someone else having a career year to beat him. He's, you know, arguably the only true five-category contributor uh, at the position. And there's just, there's a massive gap. For me, I think it's 100 spots in my overall rankings between Real Muto and the number two catcher. Although I think I have him ranked lower than the consensus. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you is. really hate those other catchers <laughs> then if it's a hundred spot. Uh, it's, it's 70 spots. Sorry. Okay. Will Smith is 129. Okay. All right. Uh, speaking of real Muto, the Roto rank at the catcher position for uh, JT over the past three years, 
Number one, number one, and number one since joining the Phillies in 2019. 273 batting average, 825 OPS for Rio Muto. Uh, and his ranks among catchers during that time. First in runs, first in RBI, first in steals, and tied for second in home runs. Um, I think he's like second in games played, too. Yeah. I think and, it's like either him or Yasmani Grandal, and Grandal has played like a decent amount of first base in DH. And the power has climbed um, in correlation with moving over to Philly, which I think we all kind of expected, but it's nice to see it actually reflected in the numbers. The isolated power, which is slugging percentage minus batting average, has climbed each of the past three seasons for JT Real Muto. Scott, the case against drafting the best catcher in fantasy baseball at pick 40 in the fourth round. Yeah. Well, that's the biggest issue is what you'd be passing up to take him there in the middle of the fourth round. It's so important to get enough high-end arms early on, and and they're going to start to run out not long after that. And even if you're not going an arm there, it's likely that somebody like Alex Bregman or Anthony Rendon, a bat that shows legitimate first-round potential, is still available there in the middle of round four. And so those are just more attractive prizes to me then as big as an, of an advantage as Real Muto is at the catcher position, it's just not a not an especially consequential position. And, you know, maybe you're the one guy who has an advantage over everyone else there. But that means, but if you're not, you know, you're not, you're not that disadvantaged compared to the rest of the league because nobody else has, has anybody that great there. So, um, you know, if we gets to round six and Rio Muto's still there, I start to think about it. I have him ranked 53rd in my Roto rankings, but 40th, fourth round like that is is too rich for me. Yeah, here's the, the case against him. You're only drafting him that high because he's a catcher. Mm-hmm. The guys who are being drafted around him, Corey Seager's one spot ahead of him in the overall ADP. Uh, the hitters, excuse me. Rafael Devers is right behind him. Marcelo Zuna is right is the next guy, and then Tim Anderson. Yep. It just those guys are just better fantasy players, and you know, I think across the board much better than Real Muto is. So, you know, if he wasn't a catcher, I'm not sure he'd be a top 100 pick. And this is going to come off as me sounding like a hater. I I certainly am not because I think that JT Real Muto is awesome, but. I feel like as great as he is, he doesn't really separate himself away from other catchers as much as we think he does. So number one in Roto each of the past three seasons, he hasn't finished better than the 61st best player in that format during that time. So he -hmm. hasn't even been a top 60 player, yet you have to draft him inside the first four rounds in Roto drafts. Uh, And then in head-to-head points leagues, there were two catchers who were better than him on a per-game basis in 2020, Salvador Perez and Will Smith. Uh, there were three catchers better than JT Real Muto in 2019 on a per-game basis. Mitch Garver, Gary Sanchez, and Will Smith again. So, I feel like as good as he is... He's I, kind I, of a compiler. Yeah. Uh, I, so, I don't know if like he really separates himself that much. So, he's still really good, but to have to use a, a fourth-round pick on JT Real Muto, that is the case for and against him. The next three catchers off the board in terms of ADP. In the eighth round, we have Salvador Perez at 89.5. In the ninth round, Will Smith at 103.3. More on him a bit later. Uh, in, the, in the 11th round, Wilson Contreras at 121.8. Salvador Perez versus Wilson Contreras. This was a debate that we had towards the end of last season, Scott, and early in the offseason. And I think recently you either texted me or wrote to me in a chat somewhere. 
that you were going to swap those, that you were going to put Salvador Perez ahead of Wilson Contreras. And it sounds like Scott, uh, Chris is the anti-Salvi guy, uh, Salvi uh, fantasy manager for this upcoming season. So, Scott, I will let you present the case for uh, Salvador Perez versus Wilson Contreras, and then Chris will will flip-flop. Yeah, so it's it's really hard to believe the numbers Salvador Perez put up last year just compared to the lengthy track record he has. I mean, he hit 100 points higher than uh, we had seen him hit his his last couple healthy seasons. Um, so I'm not... I'm not really buying that, but like it's important to remember how big of a fantasy asset Salvador Perez was before last year. Uh, he is up there with Real Muto and the kind of playing time advantage he gets at the position. It's a big deal at this position because so many players sit so often. You know, a lot of guys only start four times a week, and Perez, you're going to get, you know, he he starts virtually every game for the Royals, and he certainly provides power. He certainly provides power. So I don't think. There's much downside to drafting him. I feel like we could probably look this up, but it. uh, My perception is he was going um, about this same range, uh, or or not, not that much later than this last year when he was coming off Tommy John surgery and not the best season of his career, and there were a lot more concerns about him. So that's why I'm justifying him over Wilson Contreras. I think Contreras has more upside, especially since David Ross kind of took to playing him more than than Joe Madden did. Um, you know, there was the DH spot available too, so that kind of had something to do with it. But there wasn't really anything in the underlying stats to suggest Contreras was a different player last year. So he kind of underachieved and was mm-hmm. still really good and could probably be better than Perez on a per-at-bat basis. But between the the playing time advantage Perez has historically had and that that slim chance that really something did change for Perez at the plate and he might be some semblance of what he was in 2020. I think I, I, I gravitate him. I gravitate to him more than I do Contreras at this point. So for Perez, the ADP I mentioned is 89.5, but Scott, you know, we've done some mock drafts recently. We've done three mock drafts in particular, one Roto, one heads head points, one heads head categories. You have grabbed him in two of those drafts where he has slipped to... 130, 136, and 117. So while the ADP is higher, you're right. Like he's been falling a little bit and not going, um, you know, much yeah. earlier than someone like Wilson Contreras. The ADP for Salvador Perez last year, according to the NFBC, is was 153.4. So okay, so it was he has four. moved up, but you know, I mean, yeah. if you're getting him at like 130, then. Yeah, it's only twenty pick difference from last year. Um, right, right. So, so I guess relative to where I've been able to get him, I don't know if that's just because we're drafting with other analysts and nobody wants to be the sucker who buys into Salvador Perez. But like, you get into eleven round, eleven round, twelve range, it's like there, there's not much certainty attached to anybody at that point. So, you know, at least you have your chance a chance of giving yourself a real advantage at the weakest position in fantasy. Chris, why do you hate Salvador Perez and why would you take Wilson Contreras ahead of him? Uh yeah, I will not be the sucker for Salvador Perez. And it just it aligns with my overall philosophy. It's less anything that Salvador Perez does wrong than just you're buying at the high point in his value. This is the highest his ADP has been, uh, according to NFBC historical ADP data going back to at least 2017. And I would imagine it wasn't any higher before that. So um, 
I'm just generally opposed to paying for the guy coming off the career season. And that's especially true uh, coming off of 2020. He's, I just think, I know, I think we know who he is. Yeah, I think the biggest difference, and you've been consistent with this, Chris, is that you are not putting much stock into 2020. I tried to find out why Salvador Perez was so good, and I will point out the fact that he missed all of 2019 with Tommy John surgery. And if you remember, before 2019, this guy was an Ironman. He played so many games. So I actually think that the year off helped Salvador Perez really kind of like rejuvenate his career, get his body back on track. Uh, And he came back and we saw what he did last year. I mean, with that being said, I mean, he had a 986 OPS. Salvador Perez did and that was never higher than 792 like before in his career so I'm not expecting an OPS over 900 again uh, but I will just say I also found this Salvador Perez credited Royals special assignment hitting coach Mike Tozar with helping him develop a more consistent routine Perez also mentioned a change in his plate discipline quote I'm just trying to be on time, try not to swing at bad pitches, try to get ahead of the count. I'm still aggressive. I just try to swing at good pitches. And that was evident in a career high 78.5% zone swing percentage. So, you know, that is how often a batter swings at pitches inside the zone, yeah. uh, which is a change. The, it's, you know, it, it's something different from Salvador Perez that we've never seen before. So the counter to that would be that his outside zone swing was pretty much identical yeah. to his previous couple of seasons and you know maybe he really just did get more selective in the way that he remains aggressive but given that we're talking about 37 games it it mostly seems like the answer to what did Salvador Perez do differently last year is you know had his highest home run to fly ball ratio by 10 percentage points and had his highest BABIP by 60 64. Uh, those StatCast numbers were pretty good, Chris. They were pretty, pretty good there for yeah. Salvador Perez. So yeah. it is a small sample size. It comes down to, you know, which which side of the fence you fall on for uh, for Salvi there. If I, just straight up in a vacuum, I would take Salvador Perez over Wilson Contreras. If you told me for sure I can get Contreras three to four rounds later, then yeah, I, I agree. I probably would rather have uh, that discount. But the name going in between both of those guys is Will Smith with an ADP at 103.3. Now, a fun fact on Will Smith, he has averaged more fantasy points per game than JT Real Muto in each of the past two seasons, though he's only played 91 uh, games during that span. So uh, a 937 OPS for Will Smith thus far in his career, and uh, JT Real Muto is at 825. Does that mean I think Will Smith is going to be better? Not necessarily, but I think the upside is there, especially in the Dodgers lineup as well. So Scott... Just how good can Will Smith be? Because he made massive, massive improvements in 2020. Yeah, he's the most obvious breakout candidate at the position, which is the justification for him going as high as he did. He was he was kind of a three true outcomes guy when he first got called up and through most of his minor league career, walked a lot, struck out a lot, but also showed big power at the position. And um he added an outcome last year. He got way down on his strikeout rate. It went from one of the worst to one of the best at the position, and he also walked even more. So, um, you know, in terms of, like, per-game production, um, let me see if I can pull up the actual number for that. In terms of per-game production, 3.38. That was actually better than JT Real Muto uh, fantasy points per game. It was behind only Salvador Perez at the position. 
uh, among those, among everybody. So he, he has the potential to be the best catcher in baseball, I would say. But the big, there are really two big issues with Will Smith. I'll get into one later. Uh, but the one I want to get into, the most obvious one, is the playing time why he rated much higher in per game production than in terms of overall production. And the Dodgers historically have been an organization that doesn't like to overtax their catchers. Even when Yasmani Grandal was there, it was frustrating how often he sat for whoever happened to be the backup that year. And we saw that with Will Smith as good as he was, at least during the regular season. Uh, we saw that last year and the regular season of, is of course what we're drafting him for. So if he's if he's a guy who's playing at most 60% of the time, it's going to be hard for him to be top five at the position, no matter how good that per-game production is. And I have cited this before, Scott, that the Dodgers played 18 postseason games and Will Smith started 17 of them. However, I looked further into that today and I realized that seven of those 17 starts came at DH. And mm-hmm. as of now, it seems like there's going to be no universe DH this season. So, uh, especially in the World Series, four of his six starts came at DH. So, it's clear that they still yeah. trust Austin Barnes to a certain extent here. So, you're right. I mean, that could eat into the production on a per-game basis. Will Smith can be awesome. Uh, the improvements he made from 2019 to 2020 were night and day. He cut his strikeout rate by about 10%. Hit line drives 10% more of the time. Um cut his swinging strike rate. He walked more. Uh, so Scott, uh, Chris, rather, what do you think of uh, Will Smith here at this ADP sandwich right in between these guys? Would you be willing to do it or is it too early for you? He's my number two catcher and he bridges the gap between rail. You know, rail Muto is about a hundred spots ahead of number three, Wilson Contreras. Um, so Will Smith kind of bridges the gap between the two of them. He's closer to Contreras in the rankings than Will Smith, but I have him closer to his ADP. And I just think, if you're going to reach on one of the non-Rail Muto catchers, I, I think you do it with the one who has, I mean, he's shown nothing but star potential in the majors. You know, this isn't like, you know, him and Salvador Perez, I think played the same number of games in 2020. And so it's, you could say, well, if you're skeptical of Perez, well, Will Smith did have the 2019 season, which we thought was unsustainable. And then he got, I think significantly better in year two. And you know, if you look at the minor league track record in the high minors, especially, um, he's played 161 games between double A AA and triple A. He had 40 home runs. Um, he did only hit like 245. That's the that's the mark against him is that the batting average could be a real concern. And that's where the small sample size comes in. If he can sustain something like his 16% strikeout rate from last season or the 22% rate he now has for his career in those 91 MLB games. Uh, I think you're looking at, you know, potentially the best hitter at catcher on a per per plate appearance basis by a, you know, significant margin. Again, that is Will Smith of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I want to ask you guys, why wouldn't we all just wait on Gary Sanchez, who's being drafted in round 14? Now, I think I have a theory on this. I think this is a result Chris, of everybody who has ever drafted Gary Sanchez, they're just washing their hands. They're like, nope, we're, we're coming together. This is a collective, nope, we're done. We're done with yeah, Gary Sanchez. I, I mean, the, the answer to that question is, is because he's hit, is he even a 200 hitter over the last three seasons combined? I, I don't think he is. 
can't answer that. If question he is, for it's you. very. He's exactly a 200 hitter over the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, his best average in that span is 232. So you have to go back to 2017 uh, to find Gary Sanchez being anything but, frankly, a disaster even for the catcher position. Um, well, that's not true. He, at, he at batting hit 34 average, home runs. No, no, no. That, I just mean in batting average. Okay. In that one specific category. Um. I don't know. His swing seems broken. It it's hard to to understand exactly how this happens, but you know he still is one of the hardest hitters in baseball. He hits the ball incredibly hard. Max exit velo, average exit velo, hard hit rate, barrel rate. All of those things are really good. The problem is what happens when he doesn't hit the ball hard, which happens too often, or he hits it too hard into the air, way too high. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, he's at like a 17% uh, infield fly ball rate over the last two seasons. He has, um, you know, I think sold out for power in a way that, frankly, he doesn't need to. He hits the ball so hard, he doesn't need to sell out for power. But uh, I have no reason to believe that's going to change. And so after being a pretty big Gary Sanchez guy, I'm kind of out-ish. I have him outside of my top 200 overall. He is my number seven catcher in Roto, uh, but not even a top 12 guy in in head-to-head points for me. This is by far the latest we've ever seen Gary Sanchez uh, being drafted. Last year, the ADP was 78.2. Again, down at 163.3 right now as the eighth catcher off the board is Gary Sanchez. And maybe he's done. Maybe the swing is broken. Uh, Chris, you know, I've watched a lot of Yankee games. Obviously, people see the Yankee stuff behind me here, but you know, there, he does have timing issues. He has a big leg kick um, and, you know, can get inside his own head at times. But I, still, just like where he's going, I think that it is worth the risk based on the upside that he can provide. I mean, this is still someone who has had an OPS over 840 in two of the last four seasons. So if he could just figure out the strikeout rate, his BABIP was like incredibly low last he's year as well. the only catcher who could realistically end up with 40 home runs in a season. That is correct. Scott, where do you stand? I'm more with you. Like the cost is so low that I don't like, even if he's a total dud, I don't, I don't think you're going to regret taking him that much. And we're, we're, we're so willing to give a pass to so many hitters who drastically underachieved in, in 2020, specifically with the strikeout rate. That was Sanchez's biggest problem. 36% strikeout rate. That's like Miguel Sano stuff. Not many hitters can get away with that, but it was much worse than, than what he usually delivers in that category. And if so, you know, if we're tossing out 2020 because it was a weird year, he didn't have in-game video access, whatever, then that 2018 season uh, where he hit 170-something, that really stands, 186, that really stands out as the outlier for his career. And he has three great seasons and four otherwise. So, you know, if he was, if he was, if everybody was giving him a pass in 2020, maybe I'd be the guy who won it. But since nobody seems willing to, I'll take advantage of that. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm willing to take the risk there on Gary Sanchez. The last question, big topic I wanted to uh, ask before we move on to our sleepers, breakouts, and busts was, and I mentioned catcher tandems. If you play in a daily league, daily lineup league, um, are they becoming more prevalent? Because you know, when I was going through my rankings, it seemed like more than ever before, I couldn't just choose out for certain, a 100% starter for this for a team. And there was mm-hmm. specifically at least 10 teams that I noticed. Uh, Baltimore, Houston, the Angels, Minnesota, Seattle, 
Tampa Bay, Texas, Toronto, Arizona, Cincinnati. Those were just 10 that stood out. There might be others where I feel like more teams are going towards this tandem approach than we've ever seen before. Uh, Scott, have you noticed anything while, like this while doing your rankings? Yeah, it's it's not something I've ever like chronicled to see how much it's changed, how quickly, but it's over the years, it's something I've noticed too. We're just, it, it's more of a split role behind the plate for a lot of teams than having a true starter and a true backup, which is part of the reason why it's become such a a low priority position for me because there are so few um, who are even able to stand, like even if they're good hitters, they, they don't get the playing time to become standout fantasy options, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, if you're watching on video, don't go anywhere. Um, but if you are listening on the podcast, we are going to take a quick break and we're going to give you sleepers, breakouts, and busts when we return right after this. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, so let's jump into our sleepers, breakouts, and busts for the catcher position. Chris, why don't you get us started with a sleeper of yours here in 2021? Yeah, I actually just wrote my catcher preview piece, and uh, I chose a sleeper, breakout, and bust for each position and uh Joey Bart is my sleeper. It's it's both easy and hard to find a sleeper at catcher because you could really they're all going so late basically that basically any of them could be uh, sleepers outside of the top 10 but Joey Bart look we're still yes he was awful last year 41 strikeouts in 33 games 111 plate appearances that's like a 35% strikeout rate that is Gary Sanchez esque um and he did not hit for Gary Sanchez-esque power. But we're a year removed from him being, you know, one of the elite prospects in baseball. I think the consensus top prospect at the position. Uh, you know, he had a 9-12 OPS at AA. Overall in the minors, 875. Didn't really have the plate discipline issues. 29 homers in 130 minor league games. Um, look, a, the catcher who doesn't struggle upon making it to the majors is relatively rare. Um, and so I'm not going to knock Joey Bart for, you know, struggling in 33 games in a weird season where 
you know, he only faced AL and NL Central or AL and NL West teams and, uh, you know, just generally didn't get the the real major league experience. So um, I'm willing to give him another chance. The question, of course, is whether the Giants are. And this is one where, you know, you might not even be drafting Joey Bart. I am ranking him as a top 24 catcher if he doesn't make the team in spring training, which seems, you know, pretty likely or at least possible. Um, you know, maybe I'll move him down if that becomes more of a sure thing. But, you know, if he does get the chance, if Buster Posey, who's had a ton of hip injuries, but who I also like as a sleeper, uh, gets hurt, or if Brandon Belt, who's had a ton of injury issues, gets hurt and they play Buster Posey at first base more, um, I will be excited to have Joey Bart on my team when he gets called up. Joey Bart is currently the 27th catcher off the board at pick 327.3, according to Fantasy Pros. Scott, your favorite sleeper at the catcher position. Well, I, I could say Gary Sanchez, but I won't since we just got into him quite a bit. Uh, somebody who I think might have as much upside and was as just as underwhelming last year as Gary Sanchez was Mitch Garver, who... It's easy to forget just how good he was in 2019. You go back and look at those numbers, 31 homers in 93 games, 359 plate appearances, and he hit 31 homers, a 995 OPS. Good on-base skills, too. Um, Just in terms of fantasy points per game, I think ISO, basically everything that you you use to measure how good a catcher is in fantasy. He was a distant number one last year, except, of course, total production 2019 yeah in 2019 yeah not last year last year he was awful um i think everybody expected some kind of step back but i I mean he was just a total disaster last year uh hit 167 strikeout rate was ridiculously bloated It, it was clear that something in his process was messed up because you don't go from that amazing to that horrible uh, overnight like that. So, you know, we talk about how Sanchez is being discounted going 160-something on average. Mitch Garver is going 215th. So, like, almost free in a mixed-league sense. And uh, that makes it... So there's not much downside to taking him as your number one catcher. And because catcher's a position where nobody rosters two players, you know, there's going to be a decent guy, in, at least in a one-catcher league. There's somebody going to be somebody decent you can fall back on the waiver wire if it doesn't pan out. But, I mean, that upside he showed in 2019 was ridiculous enough that for no cost, I'll, I'll take a flyer on him again. Sleeper for me, I'm going with uh, Alejandro Kirk. Chris, what did you used to call these guys? The big, beefy something? Be- Big beefy baseball boys. Big beefy baseball boys. Yeah, Alejandro Kirk, I think, would fit that bill. Uh, a fun gentleman to watch play baseball, but an awesome hitter in the minors. Seriously, a 315 batting average with a 918 OPS um, across 100 strikeouts, only 89 walks. Yeah, the plate That's discipline just, yeah. is legit. And he hit while the- being really young it is, you know, he was only 21 last season. Yep. And um, he hit the ball really hard, too. Only 20 batted balls last season, but he had a 95-mile-per-hour average exit velocity. Uh, 10 of those 20 batted balls were classified as hard hit. So I don't want him as my first catcher if you play in a one- or two-catcher league, but 
Um, because Danny Jansen is still there, and I think they could split some playing time early on. But kind of like what you said about Mitch Garver, you know, they're two different players, Scott, uh, Kirk and Garver. But I think if Kirk hits well, especially in that Blue Jays lineup, I think that it, it won't be long before he overtakes someone like Danny Jansen. So I'm pretty excited about Alejandro Kirk. Chris, give me a breakout at the position. A breakout at the catcher position. How about a guy who probably won't play much catcher, Dalton Varsho? Uh, he is, I said JT Romuto is the only five category uh, contributor at catcher. Dalton Varsho is the, the one other guy who could really be a legitimate five category contributor. And it's, you know, it's not like, oh, he could steal nine bases. Dalton Varsho could legitimately steal 20 bases. Um, and he figures to play pretty regularly between his ability to play catcher, but also, you know, likely to be the primary center fielder. Um, I think he could be someone who hits 250 and goes 2020. And if he plays every day and establishes himself as a viable uh, option every day at center field, you could be looking at something kind of similar to what we saw with uh, Isaiah Kiner Falefa last season, where he played pretty much every day. And uh, as someone in the chat noted, Kiner Falefa actually is keeping catcher eligibility at Yahoo, which is kind of big for uh, Yahoo leagues. Um, you know, he, he's a you know potential top 15 catcher there. Well, um, Chris, have you ever looked at first base in your life? Like just looked at the base? Uh, yes. So that means you have catcher, uh, you have first base eligibility on Yahoo. Yes. Yeah, that's generally how it works. <laughs> um, but Dalton Varsho, yeah, he wasn't great in his... Uh, you know, limited time in the majors, but three steals, three homers, and did have a higher average sprint speed than JT Realmuto. The the speed is legitimate, and it's not just fast for a catcher. Um, so I I think if he does play every day, Dalton Varsho is a top twelve catcher in Roto for sure, and uh, you know, someone I'm thrilled to get as my number two catcher if I can go do it. And if you draft Dalton Varsho, do not use him in the outfield. Make sure that you use him at catcher because that's where he is most valuable. Uh, Although, look, if he goes 250-2020, he's going to be a stud catcher. But oh. that that plays in the outfield. That Those those are pretty lofty projections, Chris. Uh, not that you're expecting that, but I guess it is within his range of outcomes. He was really good in the minor leagues, Dalton Varsho. So a name that they've been talking about the past couple of seasons in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. Uh, the batting average was very bad in 2020, but still had three homers and three steals in 37 games last year. So look, at, at on the low end, 10-10, that will definitely play. As he went 18-21 in 108 games in 2019 at double-A. Yeah, no, he's definitely an interesting player. Not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, Scott, a breakout for you at the catcher position. So I think Will Smith is the obvious one, but I'm I'm going to pass on him because I want him for a different category. I'm going to say Sean Murphy, who I, I feel like yes. has a lot of similarities to Will Smith. Um, he was top 10 percentile in the league, in uh, or so 90th percentile in the league in, in um, exit velocity and hard hit rate last year. He walks a ton. Had a 364 on base percentage last year and 821 OPS. Like he definitely has the power. He definitely has the on base skills to be a fantasy asset, but he's just didn't play him often enough, was the problem for him last year. They'd start him like two out of every three games for stretches, three out of every four games for stretches, just not, not consistent enough for him to really make an impact in fantasy. Um, Jonah Heim, 
was the guy he was splitting at bats with the most, and he was recently traded to the Rangers. So the backup option they have for Murphy isn't great. Murphy's a standout defensively, so you'd think they'd want him behind the plate as much as they could. I have more hope in his playing time going up, actually, than I do Will Smith's, and he can be had for much, much cheaper. Sean Murphy is going 179th overall. He's my 13th catcher. Um, so in one catcher league, certainly, I expect he'll be somebody I end up with a lot. Scott mentioned he has him as at 13. I have him at 9, so I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. And my breakout is Sean Murphy. Scott, we are mm-hmm. simpatico here. A massive, massive September for him. Hit 277 with an OPS over 1,005 home runs. It's only 16 games, so it's a small sample. But uh, he had a 20% walk rate. 22% strikeout rate uh, during that month. So I do think the playing time will go up as well. So even in a one-catcher league uh, with that type of you know walk OBP type of upside, uh, definitely interested in Sean Murphy having a big season here with the Oakland A's. Uh, Chris, get us hey. started with a, a bust here. Rather quickly, if you could. Yeah, Salvador Perez. Boo. He's a, he's a 30-year-old coming off the best season of his career by far in a 37-game season. I, I don't think... You know, if you've listened to the podcast so far, you've heard this already, but Salvador Perez seems like the most obvious bus candidate at the position. Having said that, he'll probably hit 245 with 25 homers and <laughs> probably still be a viable starter. I just, I'm not going to pay the premium for that. Mm, man, hurts my heart. I'm a big Salvador Perez. Chris, think of think of some kind of wager that we'll put on Salvador Perez for this season. Batting average, home runs or something. I don't know. Whatever you want. We'll do a little gentleman's bet here on Salvador Perez. Think about it. You let me know. Scott, um, who was a bust for you at the catcher position? All right, so I wasn't calling Will Smith a breakout because I wanted to call him a bust. And I do Ooh, think you can call somebody boo. both a breakout and a bust without being intellectually dishonest, but it's hard for people to wrap their heads around. So I'll, I'll be the guy who says uh, bust here since so many people are elevating him already. Uh, and the... St- the stat I wanted to give about him earlier, but I was holding back for later, you know, in addition to the playing time concerns I have for him that aren't being factored into his ranking, he, you know, so much of the enthusiasm for him is based on that 16% strikeout rate he had during the very short regular season when he played 37 of the 60 games. In the playoffs, his strikeout rate was 32%. It was twice that. So if you combine his regular season and postseason stats, um, assessing Will Smith on those combined stats versus just the regular season stats, he's one of the biggest losers in all of baseball, losing the most value. And and like, if there was ever a year to combine regular season and postseason stats like that, this is the year, just to get a decent sample out of uh, what a player did. No, he was probably facing better pitchers in the postseason than he did in the regular season by and large, but still doubling your strikeout rate from that for a guy who shocked us by having such a low strikeout rate, I think it's noteworthy. Uh, Will Smith, last thing I'll add there, Scott, I know you were worried a little bit about the playing time. You cited the 37 games. He landed on the IL last year with neck inflammation. So it wasn't like he was yeah. just a, around for all 60 games and sure. only played 37. So he he did have an IL. I, I was just pointing out how especially small the sample, the, the 2020 sample size was for Will Smith. Yeah, I think, you know, him and, and Mitch Garver are two guys who I, I kind of think I, I look more at the overall package of what they've done in the majors and, in Smith case, Smith's case, he's got 424 plate appearances between the postseason and regular season across two seasons, and he has a 24.3% strikeout rate. That probably feels more 
repeatable than the 16% strikeout rate or the 36% from the playoffs. Um, so that, that's more my expectation. Uh, Scott, any prospects we need to know about at the catcher position that we actually expect to make an impact this year? Yeah, sure. I mean, we mentioned a few already. Dalton, no, he doesn't count as a qual- prospect anymore, but your guy Alejandro Kirk does. Um, also, Sam Murphy, Sam Huff, sorry, Sam Huff of the Rangers, who isn't expected to make the opening day roster, even though he was great in a brief look at the end of last season. He has 70 grade power strikeout issues, which, you know, always have a potential to, uh, to ruin a guy at the major league level. But the power is what we saw from him when he got his first chance to impact in the majors. He had three homers and three doubles and I think only like a 10 game stretch um, and just looked, looked like a potentially impact bat at a weak position. So I don't think it'll be long before he's up and contributing for the Rangers. And I think, you know, he's somebody you could call a sleeper for sure. Joey Bart, you know, at some point he may contribute. Not exactly sure when that's going to be, but um, you know, he could. Uh, those are the biggest ones. I mean, Adley Rushman is the the top catcher prospect, and I don't think I'd it's outside the realm of possibility. He'll I'd be a little get, shocked if we saw him. I feel like the Orioles have been very patient with their with their prospects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's obviously a different class of prospect than they're used to, but but uh, there's a. I wouldn't be counting on him making an impact in 2021. Uh, let's wrap up with some ADP review and hit on some of the names that we haven't talked about yet to this point. Uh, just remind everyone, JT Real Muto, he's going in the fourth round. Salvador Perez in the eighth round. Will Smith in the ninth round. Again, this is all four 12-team leagues. Uh, Wilson Contreras going in the 11th. And Yasmani Grandal at 140.5. Uh, Chris, he's one year older, and he kind of had a down year last year. Who was the real Yasmani Grandal? you expecting a bounce back? Uh, I've used the term uh, compiler a few times. Yasmani Grandal is one of the ultimate compilers at the position. Uh, he's basically just a power and volume stats guy, but uh, he should be good for those things. I, I think you know the the final numbers. I don't think will look that different from Salvador Perez. Mm. Scott, what do you think, Yasmani Grandal? I mean, he's thirty two and took a step back last year, and I I worry about catchers once they get into their thirties. So I'm kind of I'm kind of on Grandal where everyone else is with Sanchez, where I just I don't really think he's bouncing back. But I mean, the difference there is Grandal was still usable last year, even if he was worse. Uh, you jump down seventeen picks here to the twelfth round. Uh, Travis Darno going off the board at pick one forty. Point five. That's where I messed up. I wrote the wrong ADP for the wrong guy. Uh, but Travis Darno uh, going one round later. Scott with your Atlanta Braves, it, potentially an enviable position here. Batting, he was batting cleanup in the postseason. He hit the ball harder than ever before. But also someone who's kind of a journeyman at this point, and he's dealt with a lot of injuries. So, what do we think about Darno? Yeah, I mean, the difference between him and Salvador Perez, uh, both catchers who've been around a long time and didn't do anything close to what they did last year until they did it, is that Salvador Perez has a much softer landing if he regresses to his usual numbers than Travis Darno does. So I, I, don't I will f- point out, Darno was good. Uh, in 2019, after he left the Mets. Once he got to the Rays, yeah. he wasn't 
he wasn't fantasy baseball good, but he was he had like one amazing month. Good. He had like one amazing month with the Rays. Yeah. And so nobody was nobody was buying into him that hard last year based on it. But yeah, I mean, maybe those improvements were uh proved to be more sustainable, and that's what we saw last year. I think his ADP is fine. I, I don't think I think there comes a point where you just have to cross your fingers if you want to have a respectable catcher, and I don't think anybody's really overpaying for him, but I don't have a lot of confidence that he's going to repeat anything close to last year's numbers. Going about 20 picks later than Travis Darno in the 14th round of a 12-team league is Christian Vasquez, who yeah, I was going to select him as my bust, but I, just not a lot of conviction behind it. But what do you think about him, Chris, going in this range as like a top 12 catcher? He plays a ton. He That's does. one thing he's got going for him. He played 138 games in 2019 and 47 in 2020. And uh, none of the four, only four of those in 2020 were DH, but he will still have the DH option. Um, I think he's pretty good. I think he's boring, but he's going to give you a good batting average. And I think he's a, a non-zero power hitter now. Whereas he used to be a full zero power hitter. Um, so I think you're looking at someone who can hit, you know, 280, 290 with uh, 10 home runs. And in 2019, I think there were only two or three. I think there was, there was only one catcher in 2019 who hit 280 with double digit home runs, which is stunning. And it's even more stunning that it was Wilson Ramos. And we haven't even mentioned his name yet, Wilson Ramos. Uh, Right after Christian Vasquez, Gary Sanchez, we already spoke about him going off the board pick 163.3. Then in the 15th round, Austin Nola, we haven't spoke about yet, 172.8. He has played 127 career games, 271 hitter with an 808 OPS. He seems very solid, Scott. He's probably going to bat towards the bottom of a Padres lineup. Uh, what Mm -hmm. What do you think about Austin Nola? Yeah, I think he and James McCann are very similar. I could almost flip a coin who I'd rather take between them. They're both fine if you don't if you don't get a, a catcher that has something like standout potential. I don't think either of them do, but they're both fine at the position. They're 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 going to be serviceable starters for you, probably. Um, I didn't mention Luis Campusano when I was yep. mentioning prospects because He's actually DH only technically to begin the season, but that's just because he made one major league appearance and it was a DH. He's a catcher for the Padres, a catcher prospect, the next in line if something goes wrong for Austin Nolan, clearly next in line since they traded Francisco Mejia this offseason. And he's a very exciting prospect for the, the Padres. So that's something to keep in mind with, uh, with Nola. Uh, right after Nola goes off the board, we have Sean Murphy, we mentioned, in the 16th round. Dalton Varsho also goes in the 16th round. And then James McCann, who you just mentioned, Scott, going in the 17th round at pick 192.5. He's been really good the past couple of seasons with the White Sox since the start of 2019. McCann is batting 276, 25 home runs, an 808 OPS, and a 116 weighted runs created plus. He's going to strike out a good amount, but he also hits a lot of line drives, which supports his high BABIP. So uh, James McCann, for me, that's really the cutoff as, as who I would want as a starting catcher in a one catcher league. Um, but I would really like, I wouldn't mind him as my first catcher in a two catcher league as well. Uh, this is where we see this massive drop in ADP. There's 30 picks that go 
after James McCann, and then we see Mitch Garver down at 224.8. We already spoke about him, and then another massive drop. So Garver's probably, he's just on an island by himself here. A 45-pick drop in ADP, and then there are five names going between picks 270 and 300. Those names are Buster Posey, Yadier Molina, Danny Jansen, Pedro Severino, and Jorge Alfaro. Posey, Molina, Jansen, Severino, Alfaro. What do you think, Chris? Perfectly fine. <laughs> all, all of those guys play catcher, uh, and they're not terrible. <laughs> that is uh, a fact. I, I've, I've lost a lot of my enthusiasm for, for uh, Danny Jansen. I think Buster Posey is a, a very viable bounce-back candidate. You know, I mentioned that 280 double-digit homers uh, range. I think that's probably... Uh, I think Buster Posey's probably pretty likely to do that. I know he hasn't hit double-digit homers since like 2017, uh, but it's worth remembering the last couple of seasons that he played, 2018, 2019, he was dealing with pretty bad hip issues that he did have surgery on before the, in the 2020 offseason. Obviously sat out the entire 2020 season, so uh, he's going to be about as fresh as he'll ever be. And... um I think Buster Posey is still at the very least a a very good batting average source. And we'll probably that that Giants lineup. Sneaky, not terrible. <laughs> I think uh I want to say Steamer. I think I saw that Steamer has the Giants projected for more hitters with an above average WOBA than any other team. Which is kind of wild. <laughs> they don't have any stars, but they got a lot of they got a lot of guys. Yeah. It's like the island of misfit toys there with the, the yeah. San Francisco Giants. We're still waiting to see what's going to happen in Oracle Park in terms of uh, if their archways are going to be open or closed. Last year, they were closed, and it really helped drive up offense. So something to pay attention to as well. Uh, last group that we'll hit on here, three going in from picks 300 to 325. Alejandro Kirk, Carson Kelly, and Wilson Ramos. Scott, what do you think about uh, this group of three? Any that you would like as your catcher two? I think I think they're fine. Like I'm 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 not really sure how the Diamondbacks are going to handle their catcher position. I I kind of when I first put together my rankings, I I need to move Dalton Varsho up basically because I I didn't see him being like a full time outfielder for them. I figured they'd go out and get somebody else, and maybe he and Kelly would split at bats there, a lefty righty thing. But since it looks like they're going to have no choice but to play Varsho in that outfield a lot, um, Kelly, you know, he was a guy we all had in our top 10 last year. So I think uh, as your number two catcher for next to nothing, that's, that's fine. I mean, Wilson Ramos has a pretty good track record as. Decent source of batting average without zero power. Like I, I think all of these guys are are fine. I mean, even going back to like Posey, Molina, Severino, I don't think it's a disaster if you end up with them as your number one catcher, even in a two catcher league, and pair them with you know somebody with upside like an Alejandro Kirk or uh, you know, I guess you can't have Sam Huff as if he's, if he's beginning the year in the minors. You wouldn't want him as your second catcher, but like Tom Murphy coming back from injury, uh, who has big power potential, maybe strike gets out too much and, and won't help in batting average, but he will hit a lot of home runs. And he is a guy who should at least get 50% of the bats in Seattle splitting with, uh, Luis Torrance. So 
it's it's a position where you don't you shouldn't feel obligated to invest a lot. If if you love the value of a guy, whether it's Real Muto sliding to round six or Gary Sanchez, uh, you know, being there in round fourteen or Mitch Garver in round twenty or whatever, then you know, go ahead and go ahead and accept the discount and and hope you get more than you paid for it. But if if the value's never there, then just take whatever comes to you because somebody's going to emerge on the waiver wire and you're not going to be that at that big of a disadvantage even if you have just low-end contributors like Wilson Ramos there. Chris, in 30 seconds or less, the catcher that you are most likely to draft this season, all things considered. It's going to be a boring choice, but I think it's probably Buster Posey. I think I'm probably going to end up with Buster Posey and... I'm fine with him as a low end number one if if it comes to it. And, uh, you know, I think I'll have him on pretty much all of my two catcher league teams because I just my my philosophy at catcher is kind of like the uh, the Hippocratic Oath, you know, just first do no harm. And uh, I think Buster Posey is one of the guys at catcher who won't hurt your team. Mercy! Over 30 seconds. That's, that's ah, a, come on. That's a bad Chris. <laughs> Scott, all things considered, the catcher that you will draft the most in 2021. Well, so far it's been Salvador Perez, but that's because I keep getting him at a discount. If we're going by ADP, um, I would say Mitch Garver. Going beyond the top 200, just try for the upside. If it doesn't work out, move on. But I haven't actually drafted him yet, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Stick to your guns. I appreciate it, and that's exactly what I'm going to do with Gary Sanchez. I'm going to have a lot of Gary Sanchez. Uh, you know, I'll say both New Yorkers. I think James McCann comes at a really good discount as well. So I don't mind him as my first catcher, uh, as I mentioned, regardless of format. So if you are watching us right now on YouTube or Twitch, we are going to take some of your questions. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast side of things, we're going to wrap up here for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening. And we will be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? This is a huge night. Where's the truth from you? Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho Murders. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.